0: finding Jesus in the Old Testament. I'd invite you to go ahead and open your Bible, if you would, to Genesis chapter 22. We will get to that scripture momentarily. Genesis chapter 22. Uh, uh, Some years ago, I had a conversation with a a man whose father had died. And uh, some time had passed, and so he was telling me the story of that time after his father had died and the funeral had been held and how he and a couple of his siblings, he had a couple, were just trying to be sensitive to his mom and her need and or needs and allowing her to grieve through that process but also trying to make themselves available to do whatever they needed to do to help her during that time. And so if any of you have ever been through that, you know what that's like. There, there's There's some time that you go through where... You just let things be. They're, they're just there for a while. And, and then over time, you begin to address some of the things that you have to deal with. For instance, you know she wanted to offer her his clothes, her husband's clothes, to somebody that could use them and said there's no need for them to just sit in the closet. Initially, she was not ready to do that, but over time, she got ready. So she asked her son to help her with that. And he said, as I went back, and help mom clean out my dad's closet, he said, I just began to think of things that my sisters and I knew that my dad had that I didn't see. And he said, I wondered where they were. And I wondered, you know, when would be a good time to ask my mom about them. Not because he wanted to take possession of them, but because he wanted to make sure that they were preserved and protected. He didn't bring it up, but after some time had passed, she invited him back and said, I need you to help me do something around the house. And so as they talked about it, they realized what they needed, and she said, I think what you're looking for is in the attic. And she said to him, I've never been up there, but I need you to go up there and see if you could find it. And the man said, I went up in the attic, and he said, I realized that all of those things that my sisters and I were looking for from my dad were up there and they had been stored away ever so carefully by my father before his death. And he said so I did what mom needed done around the house that day and then I at a later time brought up to her and said mom when I was in the attic the other day I saw some things that I'd like to go back and take a look at. Things that I want to make sure do not get broken but things that we preserve. And she said well go up there son and Take care of it. And he did. And he said, Bill, when I went back in the attic, I saw all of these things that represented who my father was and the investments that he had made in our lives and his desire to take these things that he knew would be precious to us, but to make sure that they were carefully tucked away, not necessarily hidden, but carefully preserved in the attic. And he said, as I began to rumble through them and realize that it was all there, he he said to himself, he said, I I realized that I was reliving my life experience with my father. And he began to say, there was one thing in particular that I saw that was so special, and it was a diary. And he said, I took that diary out and I began to thumb through it, and he said, 'I, I almost felt like I was, well, treading down a path that I shouldn't tread because it was, it was things that my father had journaled about his life and our lives together. And he said, I wasn't sure that that's what I needed to do. He said, but all of a sudden, he said, my eyes fell upon a page. And he said, I began to read about a day that when I, this is the man telling the story, was 15 years old and my dad had to discipline me. And he said, I read that journal entry by my father. And he said, by the way, we never knew my father would journal like that. And he said, but my father retold the story of what I had done and how he had disciplined me. And then in his journal, he told how he felt about it. And the struggle that he had of dealing with that incident with his teenage son, but then going on to say, it's because of my love. And it's because of my desire for my son to know better and to know that what he had done was wrong. And for my desire for my son to know that the Lord loves him, that we forgive him, the Lord will forgive him, and we move on. And the son went on to say to me, Bill, that was a turning point in my life. And he said, but I never saw the perspective that I gained from reading that journal entry that I discovered that day. Now that story may not mean anything to anybody here this morning except me. But I tell it to you because for me it is a parallel. It is a comparison of what it's like for us to go back in the Old Testament and read these wonderful, many of them stories that we've heard all of our lives but to read it from a different perspective and to discover that they are there for a purpose. And the purpose is that God is showing us that His intent and His desire from the beginning of creation was to bring human beings into a loving relationship with Him. As Christians, as 21st century Christians, we know that that happens through Jesus Christ. He died on the cross 2,000 years ago. He paid the price for our sins. On the third day, He was raised from the dead. We celebrate that on Easter Sunday in a special way, but every single Sunday and in reality every day of our lives because we, we celebrate the fact that Jesus is not dead. He's in heaven. He, by His Spirit, He lives with us here, and we know that to be the truth of Scripture, and so when you read the Bible, especially the New Testament, and you say, well, I understand this is telling us a story of how we can be saved, but why is the Old Testament there? Why are the books of the Old Testament preserved for us in this thing that we call the Holy Bible? Well, it's because that the Old Testament tells us about that time prior to the arrival of Jesus, And one thing that we must never forget and that is that people in the Old Testament were saved in the same way that we are saved. You say, no, they're not. They were saved by living the law, keeping the law. That's what the Old Testament's all about. No, they weren't. You know why? Nobody's ever been able to keep the law. They lived... In faith, looking forward to a day that God would send a Redeemer. They looked forward in faith. We look backward. We look back in faith to the time when we know our Redeemer by name. And He was Jesus. So what I'm showing you is that these Old Testament people live by faith looking forward. We live by faith looking backward. But we're all looking to the same experience and to the same one who saves us. The only one who can save us. And that is Jesus. I think I said it this way last week. The Old Testament is Jesus concealed. The New Testament is Jesus revealed. Last Sunday, we looked at the story of Noah and the great flood, and maybe we saw some things there about how that actually represents the salvation that comes to you and me that you'd not seen before. This morning, we're going to read the story of Abraham and Isaac. When Isaac was offered, as a sacrifice. Read with me in verse 1 in Genesis 22. Listen to what it says. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham? And he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, underscore this phrase, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering On one of the mountains which I will tell you. The first thing I want to show you is the place where Abraham was told to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. God says, I'm going to take you to the place where I will show you and it's a place called Moriah. Now you've probably heard people talk about Mount Moriah in Israel. Mount Moriah is actually a mountain range. And if you've ever seen the landscape of Israel and a portrait that that, that is pretty popular, it's been printed and framed and and circulated a lot, there's a picture of a landscape you can see looking to one direction and right in the middle you see this big golden dome. Have you ever seen that? that? That structure is referred to as the dome of the rock. 1992, what's that, uh, let me do the math here, 826 years ago, I went to Israel. I I visited all of those wonderful places that you can go when you go to the Holy Land. I went with 150 Methodists. Doesn't that sound like fun? (laughs) I was sprinkled at the Jordan River, you know. And uh, I was actually traveling with three friends who were members of my church. We were the only four Baptists in that group. And as the bishop. Methodist bishop, sprinkled all of us at the, at the Jordan River. Three of uh, my friends joked with me and said, we noticed you didn't duck when he sprinkled us all. I said, look, number one, I wasn't going to call attention to myself by ducking out of that experience and just making an issue over it. And I said, plus, I said, what did it hurt? You know." So we were baptized at the Jordan River by being sprinkled. But anyway, I wanted to go to the Dome of the Rock. The Dome of the Rock is a place where people of the Islam faith worship. Now, visitors can go in, but there are very strict regulations on what you can do. And because of the unrest in the Middle East, now this is 1992, we couldn't go to Jericho. We couldn't go to the Dome of the Rock. We couldn't go to multiple places because our tour guide said we have been told by our state of whomever it is in that position in Israel not to take visitors there at this time because they were in, they were protesting and they were rioting and things were happening there. That has always been seemingly the state of the people in the Holy Land. The Dome of the Rock covers the mountain range there on Mount Moriah where it, those Muslims believe that Muhammad... L- left this earth ascending to God but what you discover here is that it's also the place where God told Abraham this is where I want you to sacrifice your son to me offer him as a burnt offering to me and then leave your place and go I'll show you the way when you get there you'll know But we're going to Mount Moriah. Now it's a mountain range. I've already told you that place is special to the Muslims. It's special to the Jews because of the story we have about Abraham. But guess what, folks? It's also a special place to you and me because not a stone's throw from the Dome of the Rock where it exists today is a place where traditionally is known as the place of the skull. Golgotha, Calvary where it is believed that our Lord Jesus was crucified. The very place, thousands of years prior to Jesus going to the cross, God would send Abraham to that same place to die for you and me. Now I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever been to Calvary? I don't mean literally, I don't mean you get on a plane and you fly to Israel and you have a tour guide take you there, but in your heart, in your spirit, have you ever gone to Calvary and seen Jesus dying there on the cross? Going back in your imagination, realizing what He did for you and me to suffer and die on the cross? If you've never done that, I'm inviting you to do that this morning. I want to take you to Calvary. That's the place. Look at the next thing that the Scripture tells us about. And that's the plan that was given to Abraham. In verse 3 it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day... If you're so inclined, would you highlight or underline that? On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, like servants who went with them, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad, Isaac, will go over there and we will worship. And in my translation, it doesn't say we next, but we as implied, we will return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac. Again, underscore, laid it on Isaac. His son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. This is the plan that God had given to Abraham. In his heart and in his mind, Abraham knew in order for him to fulfill this command of God, he had to take his son to that place, carrying what I would refer to as a bowl of smoke, coals, live coals, to use for the burnt offering, the wood and his son. Believing in his heart that when he got there, he would eventually have to carry out the act that in his mind knew would take place in order him to fulfill the command of God. He'd have to kill his son and offer his body as a burnt sacrifice. That's the plan. You know, a part of me, and this is just me, a part of me says, why didn't Abraham object? Why didn't Abraham negotiate with God a little bit? Why didn't he say, Lord, that's my boy? Lord, let's stop and think about what you're asking me to do here for just a minute. Can't I just dress him up and parade him around and commit him to you in public and say, this is the boy that the Lord has given me, and we want to give him back to the Lord. His name means laughter. Yes, Sarah and I didn't think we could have children, but lo and behold, here we are in old in age. He didn't do that, did he? You know why I think Abraham didn't do that? It's because that he had subverted the plan of God already. Do you remember how? God sent a messenger told Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a child, a male child, your descendants are going to be like the grains of sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. Sarah laughed, didn't she? And when Abraham reminded her of what they'd been told, she said, "I'm 99 and you're 100." We're on Geritol already. What do you mean we're going to have a child? We can't have a child. And when she didn't bear a son, what did they do? Here's your handmaid. Have a son through her. We know his name is Ishmael, right? Ishmael was born. What did they do? They tried to hijack, to overtake the plan of God. it didn't work out and then ultimately she did have a child and isaac was born and they celebrated the fact that the promise of god was ultimately carried out by giving them a child as the anointed couple and the chosen couple for that very purpose so i think when it came time for the plan to be carried out Abraham trusted God and in faith said, Lord, as you've told me to do, I will do it. Now, one thing I want you to think about here is that Isaac had to be a willing participant in this. You say, well, it doesn't say that Isaac was a willing participant. Well, think about it this way. We know that Abraham was a 100 years older than Isaac, right? Not sure what that looks like. Don't know exactly how old Isaac was. Let's say he was 16. The Jewish Talmud, by the way, says that Isaac was 30 years old. I thought about bringing a 30-year-old up here and just sort of letting him stand in front of you and remind you what a 30-year-old looks like. Sort of the prime of life, isn't he? I mean, strong? Don't you think that a 30-year-old, even a 16-year-old, could overpower a 100-year-old man. And yet it seems to me that Isaac was willing to do that. And so the plan is being carried out as Abraham goes to fulfill the command of God for him to offer the body of his son as a burnt sacrifice. Now very quickly, I'm going to answer a question that somebody might be thinking this morning. Well, he's already told Isaac that God will offer provision there, a substitute perhaps. Is that what he believed that God was going to do? I mean, this story, by the way, is being recorded after the fact. Is it not that Abraham believed that God was going to provide a ram, as we're going to read about in just a moment? No, because when you come to the New Testament, you read in Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm going to read this quickly. You look down in verse 19 listen to what it said he that is Abraham Considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead from which he also received him back as a type You know what the writer of Hebrews is telling us that figuratively speaking Abraham believed that even if he killed Isaac that very day and offered as his body as a living sacrifice to God that God would raise him from the dead Don't tell me there's not a doctrine of theology about the resurrection in the Old Testament because there it is. Abraham believed in his heart that even if he had to kill his son to fulfill this command of God, that God would raise him from the dead on that very spot. And by faith, he followed out the plan of God at that moment. Let's read quickly about the provision here in verse 9. It says, And they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Ladies and gentlemen, this is one of the most dramatic scenes in all of the Bible as he is going to kill his son as God commanded. But read quickly. But, however, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide as it is to this day. In the amount amount of the Lord it will be provided. Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. It's a beautiful picture of this man, this father being willing to carry out the plan of God to fulfill what God had told him to do. And then God saying, I see your obedience. Stop. And the ram was there caught in the thicket. Somebody says, don't you think Abraham saw that or knew that? Do you think Abraham arranged for it? No, not at all. Something interesting is happening here. And I I want you to listen very carefully. Did you know there are people in this world who are professional shepherds? Now that I did see when I went to Israel. I got to talk to a couple of them. They're just out there, you know, herding the sheep in the desert. You know, I'm wondering, well, poor sheep, they're looking for grass. Take them to some grass and some water. They gotta, But that's what shepherds do. They know where the grass is. They know where the water is, and they're getting them there. So professional shepherds have said that this was a God thing. Because when rams are caught in a thicket, if they get their horn stuck in, in, a, in, in some kind of plant or tree there, and it happens. Rams are stubborn like sheep, and they are dumb. Because one of two things will happen. That ram will even break off his horn to be set free or that ram will break its neck in the process of being stuck in that thicket. And what shepherds have said is it was a precise moment, and they won't won't stand there and tolerate being stuck in a thicket. They're either going to break the horn, or they're going to break their neck. And the shepherds have said it was a precise moment where God intervened and provided exactly what Abraham needed at that moment, and it needed to be a living sacrifice that would have been offered for God at that moment. Now, I've shown you the place, I've shown you the plan, I've shown you the provision that God made for Abraham there. Now, we need to step back for just two minutes and let me show you the picture the big picture here of what is happening. I want you to see that Abraham represents the one who demonstrates so much faith in carrying out the command of God at this moment. But Isaac, Isaac is the one that you need to look at because he is the one who stands out from the pages here as Jesus in this story and in this Old Testament. And think about this, folks, we're talking about thousands of years prior to the coming of Jesus, the writing of the New Testament, and all of the things that would be recorded for us there, and the multiple authors that would be involved in writing and recording for us all of this. Listen to this now. First of all, God said to Abraham, Take your son, thine only son Isaac. It was as if God did not even acknowledge Ishmael as a son. But this only one son born of you and the chosen mother. That's the son I want you to take. The only son, Isaac. Remember last week we talked about monogamy. For God sent his only son into the world. Only one like him. The, the boat, the ark that Noah built, there was only one like it. It was unique. It was special. And God is painting a picture of Jesus for us here by saying to Abraham, take thine Only son. Then look at the next thing. Look at what it says here in verse 4. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes. I sort of feel the hair raising on my arms when I think about that. They'd been searching for the place. And the scripture says here that on the third day, he lifted his eyes and he saw the place. On the third day, on the third day, on the third day, Jesus was raised from the dead. Do you remember? I wonder, I wonder. When we get to heaven, I want to ask Abraham. Maybe the Lord. Maybe Isaac. I don't know. I want to ask somebody, was this a Sunday? Was this a Sunday that on the third day you lifted your eyes and you saw the place? And then look at what it says next. It says here that after the third day, he laid the wood on Isaac. And said, Isaac, I want you to carry... The wood, the donkey stayed with the servants there. By faith, Abraham says, we will go and worship and we will return to you. But do you remember Jesus bore the cross that he carried to Calvary? Do you see the similarities here? Do you see the the, the way Isaac is demonstrating for us an act of servitude and sacrifice as Jesus carried the cross for you and me? I get a little choked up when I think about this. But he's walking to his death, in his mind, to his death. And he speaks. And he says, Daddy, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? Do you remember Jesus speaking to the Father on the cross? Eli, Eli lama sabacht. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Dying on the cross, our Lord Jesus speaks to the Father. As Isaac spoke to his dad, walking to his death, I love this. In the Old Testament here, Isaac... Isaac expresses a question that is repeated over and over throughout the Old Testament. Where's the animal? Where's the animal? Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? I wish I had time to talk to you about the lamb that may have been killed when Jesus clothed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden with with the animal skins to cover them from their nakedness and the guilt and the shame of the sin that they had committed. Wish I had time to talk to you about the Old Testament high priest as he would go into the Holy of Holies and kill a lamb and offer the blood to sacrifice for the sins of a nation there and maybe we would talk about the lamb that was killed when the Hebrews were released from Egypt the sins for one family the sins for another family the sins for a nation you come to the uh, the New Testament and you hear in the Gospel of John as John the Baptist looks up and sees Jesus coming forward what did he say he said behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world Isaac asked where is the lamb John the Baptist said there he is And then in Revelation chapter 5, as John looks through the portals of heaven and he sees all the people gathered around the throne of God, what are they saying? What are they singing? Nothing else, nothing needed, but worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Do you see it? Jesus is presented even in the first book of the Bible as the Lamb who would come to be slain For you and me. So? So what? I'm proud you asked. Our lives, ladies and gentlemen, must be lived out in such a way that it reflects the gratitude that he is due for what he has done for us. And how can we not offer all that we are for all that he has done? In the 6th century B.C. when Cyrus the Great, the Persian king who was carrying out his campaign to conquer the ancient world at that time his armies came home and they had captured a prince and his wife and their children. Thus claiming authority over the land where that prince had ruled. And as it was their habit, they brought in the prince and his wife and his family to stand before Cyrus the Great and he alone would determine what was to be done with them. And history says that Cyrus Great asked this prince a question. What would you give me If I release you and let you go. And the prince said, I would give you half of my wealth, O king. And what would you give me if I release your children? I would give you everything I own, O king. And then he said, and what will you give me if I release your wife? And I give her her freedom. And the prince said, and I would give you my life in return. So, the story goes, Cyrus the Great released them all, so moved by the responses of this prince. And as the prince and his wife and children are walking to wherever they're going with their freedom, the father breaks the silence, the prince does. And says to his wife, that Cyrus is a handsome man, don't you think? And she said, I didn't notice. I could not take my eyes off the man who was willing to die for me. May we fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and not be distracted by anything in this world that would take away from the honor and the devotion that He deserves. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, how we thank You for Jesus. For well, the willingness that he demonstrated by going to the cross and dying for us. I pray that in this service, somehow, some way, should you convince any person, young or old, of the need to trust Christ as Savior and to come forward and make that commitment public that you would give them the courage to do that even now as we give this invitation on your behalf. Father, for every person here who goes by the name of Christian, should we... Find a way somehow to commit ourselves deeper and broader and greater ways to serve you and love you and to thank you for what you are due. Lord, should there be Christians here looking for a church home because your Spirit would lead them, let them come. Let them unite with this church family because we receive members in many ways. Let us celebrate you speaking and leading as you do. Father, we give this invitation. We ask that you have your will and your way in our lives as only you can. Through Jesus we pray.